Welcome to this special edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. I'm joined by Richard Wainwright, Chief Executive Officer of Investec Bank South Africa. It's going to be a wide-ranging conversation. I'm going to ask him to share his insights from the recent IMF meetings in Washington and outlook for the financial sector generally. I want to talk about the scourge of grey listing in South Africa. That's an important issue. It's top of mind for many investors. Also, where are the opportunities for investors to participate in rehabilitating South Africa. What am I talking about? Everything from the country's ailing energy and transport sector to general infrastructure build. So a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at events and trends moving markets and shaping the economy. My name is Jeremy Maggs and Richard Wainwright, a very warm welcome. Okay, Richard, recently you joined some of the world's most influential financial leaders in Washington, the annual meeting of the IMF and the World Bank. Let's start with this. What was their outlook for the global economy? Is there a sense of optimism? I would say there's a little bit of a sense of doom at the moment. The Americans, I would say, are cautiously optimistic. Uh, the Europeans, very worried. The Brits, I think we all know what's going on in Britain right now. So you've seen the IMF give guidance on the expected GDP growth across the world, which is the lowest it's been in quite some time, and definitely anticipation for recessions during 2023. So that was sobering, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. So I would say the Americans are, are the most optimistic that the American economy will come out of its recession, and it's almost guaranteed we'll go into a recession, a very mild recession, and will bounce back quicker than the rest of the world. I think the other big impact that maybe not everybody understands is the impact of what's happened in China and its slowdown and its effect on the rest of the world. So I would say as a consequence of the Chinese policy with respect to shutdown during COVID, now they shut down cities that have got 100 million people in it. The knock-on effect of that, both domestically in China and on global GDP growth, can't be underestimated. So you have seen a slowdown in China, which is affecting everybody. Let's reference inflation if we can. So up to around 9%, and we know that central banks are showing no sign of pulling back at all. Was there any conversation about the interest rates cycle coming to an end at any point? In, in what way was that part of the discourse? So it's going to come to an end. It's just how long it's going to take and how fast the rises and the increases are going to be. I would say that the most of the world, led by the Americans, will stop increasing rates towards the end of 2023. I think the Fed recently, post our, our meetings at the IMF, which was a month ago now, have indicated a slowdown in rate hikes, but they will purely follow inflation. And there's different inflation forces in different parts of the world. I think the UK, where we have a big operation, is going to have inflation for longer, to a lesser extent Europe. But America, I think, uh, will bounce back, as I said earlier, will bounce back the quickest. All of the central banks around the world were late in hiking the rates. And I think I must point out, our central bank hiked well in advance. So the governor of our central bank is very forward thinking. He's highly, highly regarded internationally. And fortunately for us as South Africans, I mean, we have many other challenges, but our central bank reacted very fast to what was happening internationally, which has actually put us in good stead. So our inflation here in South Africa is below that global average of 9%. Now, the UK is estimated to go to 13%. The US is around 8 we're currently at around seven, and we'll probably be back in our three to six percent range in 2023. I'm sure I could find a better way of phrasing this, but part of the remit of Investec being at these meetings is to 
talk about South Africa. I don't want to use the phrase sell South Africa because that's certainly not your job. We know that there are a lot of domestic headwinds here. What were you telling foreign investors? And perhaps conversely, what were they asking you? I've been to a number of these and our group Investec has been going for a lot longer than I've been going. An interesting thing, Jeremy, we actually... When I, I hear the stories of what Stephen Kossoff told us many years ago, from around about 1995 onwards, so the dawn of democracy, we were selling South Africa. And our breakfast became known that we were very open and transparent around what was happening domestically, both the challenges and the opportunities that we had. Interestingly, this year, the South African and the African story was not on the radar. There's so much else going on, both geopolitically and economically, which we've just spoken about, inflation, interest rates and the like. In the rest of the world, there wasn't a lot spoken about. What people are really interested in, the kind of people we speak to, banks and the like, is the question around FATF and and how long we think that's going to take to get us off that list, assuming we go on it. So what we were really doing at our breakfast, which we have on a Sunday morning, where we have about 150 bankers and investors from around the world coming, was really to talk about that was the FATF issue was the big issue. Interestingly, not as much questions anymore around our electricity crisis, and it is a crisis, because other parts of the world, particularly the UK, are going to have their own. All of a sudden, yeah, and, lots to and learn from Europe, us. And yeah. Europe going off the supply of gas from Russia, and interestingly, what they told us, they, they prepared for this winter. They've got enough storage capacity, certainly Germany, but next year, different story. Let's talk about FATF in just a moment. Not sure if I like that uh, shortening, the Financial Action Task Force. But um, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, what is worse than people talking about you is people not talking about you. (laughs) And you say that the conversation is not around South Africa or Africa at all. That's actually worrying because it's going to make things a lot more difficult for us to get back onto the agenda. No, that's quite correct, Jeremy. Um, You know, what we need is both domestic investment and international investment, South Africa and the rest of Africa. We have huge infrastructure backlogs, different countries having different requirements. And even although South Africa has a very sophisticated banking and financial sector, we don't have enough domestic savings to invest in the infrastructure and the economy that's needed to get us on a growth path that will really create jobs, which is you know, 4% plus. And the erosion of existing infrastructure. Correct. So both South Africa and the rest of Africa, we need international investment. Unfortunately, what happens in times like this, where you've got the kind of fiscal and monetary issues that are going on in the rest of the world, it gets defocused. So you've got this, what they call the rush to safety from an investor's perspective. What you've also seen is the emerging market indexes heavily, heavily impacted by both China and Russia. I was at a, at a function the other evening where I sp- saw Mark Mobius speak, who was one of the pioneers of investing in emerging markets you know, 30 years ago. And he was here talking about the impact of the slowdown in China and the impact of the Russian-Ukraine war. So China made up 30% of the emerging market index. It halved. So it's, its equity markets halved. You know, the rest of the world's down about 20%. And Russia, which made up 7% of the emerging market index, basically went to zero overnight. So you've had 22% of the index wiped out. That has a massive impact in uncertain times like this on where investor sentiment is. So you've seen the withdrawal, even on the JSE and in our bond market, you've seen foreign investors withdraw. What's going to take it for the investor sentiment to turn around? One, more certainty and stability internationally. And then they'll start looking at domestic issues and the challenges that we have and how our policy framework's changing. 
so that we can be attractive for foreign investment. So it's going to be a tough time. By the end of 2023, a lot of this uncertainty should be out. I think interest rate hikes will have stopped. I think inflation will have peaked. And you may then get interest back into the emerging markets. So we've bought ourselves a little bit of time. There is a window of opportunity. 2023 is going to be difficult. But what do we need to accelerate then in terms of getting back into that conversation? Well, the things that we've been talking about for the last three or four, since Cyril Maposa became the president, which is we need to make ourselves an attractive destination for foreign capital. Now, we do have a lot of pluses. Our financial markets is very sophisticated, very deep, probably the best in emerging markets. So we have a lot of pluses, governance systems in the private sector, although those have been challenged recently, uh, but it's very sophisticated capital markets and generally speaking, well-respected corporates. On the policy side from government point of view, the big plus factor, as I mentioned earlier, is the strength of the central bank, the independence of the central bank and the quality of the people there both the governor and the deputy governors. And then I think our new finance minister is improving credibility internationally. You know, we've had a bit of luck recently with the commodity boom and the agri boom. So we've got an overcollection. Debt to GDP is coming down, forecast to come down, which is a move in the right direction. But we need a lot of work done on policy. Certain. That's not going to happen this year until the ANC elective conferences is done. And then I'm hoping, and we're hoping, that policy issues around using the private sector more in infrastructure, reducing red tape, which is now, you know, the president announced at the Sonar address that he appointed uh, Sipon Corsi as his czar to get rid of red tape. I don't think he's done anything yet, um, or certainly not enough. So all those policy issues that we know about, and it's contained actually in the economic recovery plan that the president announced during COVID. And I suspect that you and I could have had this conversation 12 months ago or even 24 months ago, and the context would have been the same. It's a question now of accelerating to overcome the inertia, which we don't seem to be able to do particularly well. Look, I think politically we've had a lot of challenges here in South Africa. What an international investor said to me once was, it's very rare that a ruling party hangs itself out to dry in a very public audit that's done in a very public way, which is what the Zondo Commission was. So we had a lot revealed through that, how the ANC itself responds to that around its at the corruption issues and policy issues. Let's hope that post this December, we start getting some more policy certainty. You know, the real threat for the ANC is if they don't, um, what happens in the 2024 election? And that to me is all driven about economic growth and job creation. We are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'd just like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Let's reference grey listing now. Maybe a jump off point here is to give us your best definition, your understanding of it. And then what would it mean for the economy if this is to happen? Look, this is the, the review is done by a number of countries from around the world, pretty much led by the Americans and the Europeans, where they come and do an audit and a review, desktop audit, I would say, where they do a review of your anti-money laundering and terrorist financing legislation and how it's being executed, implemented by the banks and other financial service companies and how we're enforcing that legislation. And we failed on a lot of them. You know, the ones around legislation, in fact, quite interestingly, are quite easy to fix. And we've seen the government in certain aspects, driven by National Treasury and the Central Bank, the Saab, actually being very proactive in trying to get this done. Very recently now, we've seen this omnibus bill go to Parliament, 
which has been stalled in Parliament, and I think National Treasury will get that right. There's more consultative processes that are needed to get that legislation through. But we basically failed there. That side of it, the, the regulatory side, I think we'll get right, um, and we've got it largely right. The other part of it, though, is the enforcement side, which is the Department of Justice, the Hawks, the NPA, etc. Now, we've seen some movement. We've seen some arrests. So there's certainly an intent to get it done. Whether we can get it done in time, whether we've done enough to satisfy the, the so-called auditors, the reviewers, time will tell. But what's your, what's your sense? Now, my personal view is we haven't done enough. I can't read the politics because there is politics involved. And our positioning vis-a-vis the Russian-Ukraine war has not helped. But we probably haven't done enough. Can we get off in the next 12 months post that or 24 months? I think we can. So I'm, I'm reasonably positive on that front, which means that the short, the impact is actually going to be quite minimal. So the banks that we talk to, investors we talk to around the world, I would say it's priced in that we're going on the gray list. The short-term impact of that will be actually minimal. Um, that's a bad thing because you get bunched with a bad group of people. And that's exactly it. It's more of a sentiment issue. A sentiment issue, but the world understands it. And the investors and the bankers that we talk to, they understand this. But if you're on the right track and doing the right things, they give you the benefit of the doubt in the short term. So we've seen it in Mauritius. We've seen it in other countries. If you get off within a year or two years, there's almost no impact. Problem is if you stay on it. So if we lose momentum in dealing with the recommendations that have been made. The problem compounds, yeah. The problem can compound very seriously. So I would say if we stay on for 18 months or 24, longer than 18 or 24 months, we could have some very serious issues, which is access to dollars, counterparties that want to trade with us, foreign investment can become much more problematic. Is this something that you are talking to your colleagues about within the financial services oh, sector? Yeah. No, it's, it's a top priority for all banks, financial services firms, top priority for the, you know, the banking association. And we've been communicating in a very open, transparent way with all of our financial service firms that we deal with around the world. So there's no surprises for anybody right now. It's almost like, okay, we understand that. We hear you dealing with it. Let's make sure that you deal with it properly and we get off this. Let's move away from that. Uh, we are recording this conversation as the Black Friday adverts start. One would expect, given a fairly depressed economy, that business sentiment would be low in the country right now. Yet, the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industries September index actually shows a sign of improvement. Is there a sign of improvement there or is there an anomaly gap somewhere? Look, my take on it is that it's off a low base. I think we're coming off a very low base. We've come out of COVID. GDP has recovered. I mean, we're not at zero or negative anymore. We are at slightly below 2%. We all know it's not enough. We need to be at four plus to really deal with unemployment and social issues. But two is better than zero. And I think the impact of the excess revenue collections for the state being quite well ahead of budget to the point that we've seen a reduction in GDP forecast. All of that can be reasonably positive for us. Also on a relative basis. So in investors' minds, and I'm talking about business people that invest in their businesses and in stock and in new equipment, and, is that relative to other parts of the world, the shock of the movement of interest rates and inflation is nowhere near as bad here. Just to give you an idea of that. Why is that? Well, our inflation was always between three and six, right? So let's say it's been averaging four, four and a half. We've moved to seven. The rest of the world, the first world, has gone from zero and almost zero for 12 years to eight, nine, in the case of the UK, 13%. And interest rates going from zero. So you've had this adrenaline pumping into these economies basically since the GFC, 12 years. 
being withdrawn and interest rates going from zero to four, five percent almost overnight. The psychological impact of that has been huge in those economies on investors and on businesses. South Africa hasn't had that. We've gone back to pre-COVID interest rate levels and we may go slightly ahead. So on a relative basis, done far better on those factors than the first world. And maybe that's spilling over into a little bit of business confidence. The challenges around infrastructure, the ports, transnet, load shedding are still there. And interestingly, we've become quite resilient. My colleagues in the UK now are coming to ask us, how do we deal with load shedding? And so there are many businesses, the larger businesses that are quite become quite resilient to it. What I really worry about is smaller, mid-sized companies who can't afford to become resilient. And obviously on the poorer people who can't afford solar or generators or inverters at their homes. That's where the real impact is. We've become famous as a country for being resilient. Uh, It'd be nice uh, if we were perhaps famous for something else other than resilience, but it's also a very enviable trait as well. Richard, you mentioned load shedding. You referenced a little bit earlier. We do have the energy reforms that have been announced by President Ramaphosa. Are you satisfied that that's enough? What's the business community saying? Uh, Short answer, no. I think we've come to the realization, and I think the government's come to the realization, is that the future generation capacity that we need to build and and transition will be done by the private sector or in partnership with the private sector. So a lot of the policy changes, the 100 megawatts policy, and that's going to go to 500 and probably 1,000 in due course. The splitting of ESCOM into three parts, generation, distribution, and transmission and distribution is important. I think the future of generation is, you can see it from the policy framework, is going to be led by the private sector, private capital, in conjunction in some form partnership with the state, simply because the state's run out of money. Would we like it to happen faster? Yes. It's been interesting. I think the government's done well. Daniel Manelli, the previous deputy governor, who's now in charge of the $8.5 billion that is going to come in from First World to assist us in our transition. I see this week they've just announced how that's going to be done. I think he'll do very well at that. And I think over time, whether it's fast enough or not, I'm not sure, you're going to see the just transition and the move towards replacing coal, I think, with gas. Again, I mean, the the whole dirty fuel industry is is top of mind as far as that agenda is concerned. But uh, there's also a funding issue around that, isn't there? Yeah. So do we have a trillion rand to do it? I don't think so. Can we mobilize private capital, but including international capital, to do it? I think we can. There's a lot of interest in renewable investments from all parts of the world. And, uh, you know, we've got a 10-year track record of the private sector building renewable plants, but it doesn't necessarily replace baseload. For heavy industry and the mining sector, you need baseload electricity. So, you know, at the moment to use, to support the renewables, if you've got battery backup, it's still very, very expensive. Even the technology where you can put solar into what they call molten salt towers, which we're busy financing one of them, that's very expensive. It's a very expensive formula. Pure PV is very cheap. And wind is relatively cheap too. But that doesn't give you baseload. And the economy will need baseload. So I think the combination between renewables and gas, whether nuclear forms part of that mix in terms of our integrated energy plan, it is part of it, won't be financed by the private sector. So that to me, nuclear will happen if the government can afford it. 
At the moment, it can't. So you reference heavy industry. It requires constant supply of electricity. It also needs a workable transportation infrastructure. You must be worried about Transnet. We are worried about Transnet. Talking to our clients, which are you know mining groups, agricultural companies, industrial companies, exporters, we are worried about Transnet. From a policy perspective, we were very encouraged during COVID, so almost two years ago now, where Transnet announced that they were going to embrace the public-private partnership model in some of their ports. In particular, we were thinking of Durban, but it's taken a long time. You know, our rankings, I read recently on a logistics report, our rankings as a port, as ports around the world, in terms of price, efficiency, et cetera, we rank very badly now. So that's at the port level. I mean, we all know on the rail as well, it's a problem. Again, a policy statement made, we'll embrace the private sector, we'll do PPPs or concession contracts on some of the lines. The execution's just bad. But the important step, the important positive step was the mindset, the recognition that the state can't do this on its own anymore for two reasons. One, it battles to get capacity and two, it's run out of money. The SOEs almost have no access to capital markets anymore. So it really needs to embrace the private capital markets to bring both the skills in and the capital, but at the same time can still dictate the terms and conditions on which the ports or the infrastructure gets run. I mean, I often speak to many colleagues of mine. In 1995, under Madiba, Mac Maraj was the Minister of Transport. He introduced the PPP models on toll roads in South Africa. We were one of the banks that financed the Maputo Corridor toll road, closed in 1996-1997, under a 25-year concession. It's almost reached the end. That road's being transferred back to the state in the condition that it determined 25 years ago, and it hasn't had to put one cent in, and it will be able to resell that road. That model of a concession which the government determines what the partnership arrangement is, you know, what the price is, how much must be invested over its 25, 30 years in the infrastructure, the quality of the infrastructure, can all be negotiated in these concession contracts. So that's why that partnership arrangement can work. And I can tell you there is a lot of demand from companies internationally to do this, and we don't have to reinvent the wheel because it's been done in many parts of the world. It's just when they make the policy decision we want to do it, execute it quicker. Matt Raj did it. In one year. Richard, a wide-ranging conversation and perhaps to end with the most important question, are you um, concerned about our national cricket team? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, what a bad weekend. Jeremy, been a good I mean, one. <laughs> we lost the rugby without a kicker. <laughs> we lost to the Netherlands. Uh, and I think we lost the, the uh, sevens as well. So it was a bad weekend. We're not going to speak about sport this weekend. Richard Wainwright, thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks. Please join us again on the 23rd of November as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. Let me just remind you again, if you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, please search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.